Welcome back for Season 2 of John Guest Remembers. This is a special mini-series of the Our Church, Our Stories podcast, covering the ministry of John Guest and the journey God led him on as he became the senior pastor of Christ Church at Grove Farm. These memories have been collected and curated by one of Christ Church's founding members, John Poister, so that we may have a greater appreciation of what God has done in bringing Christ Church at Grove Farm about as we look forward to where God is leading us today. In Season 1, Pastor John recalled his childhood, growing up amongst the chaos of World War II, his conversion to Christianity, and his earliest years working in ministry. Season 2 picks up with John's earliest ministry assignment after his ordination, and one of his most notorious escapades as a youth leader in Bristol. We now invite you to join Pastor John as he recalls what it was like for him in those days, as John Guest remembers. Well, the decision for me to go to uh, what was then Clifton Theological College, which later became Trinity Theological College, it was a big decision because that led me to Bristol, England, to which I'd never been. And over the three years as a student, as mentioned, I'd gotten involved in a poorer part of Bristol, a rough part, Barton Hill, and gotten involved with the kids there and the families, but mostly the youngsters, the teenagers, and uh, middle school kids about that age. And what that led to when I graduated and was ordained in Bristol, which was 1961. So being ordained in uh, Bristol Cathedral, uh, that was related to my first assignment after ordination, which was in Bristol, uh, in the Diocese of Bristol, at a church called St. Luke with Christ Church in Barton Hill. That was a three-year, what we would call an apprenticeship or an internship here in the USA. It was called a curacy in England. I was a curate. And the general plan in England at that time was, and it may still be the same after all these years, is that after your ordination, you get to work with a senior rector or vicar for three years and then do a second assignment assignment similarly in a different parish with a different vicar or rector for another two or three years. And then you would get your own parish uh, to lead and be the vicar or the rector, as the case may be. Those uh, terms are, generally speaking, interchangeable in England. I think a rector has a little more dignity associated with its history, but in reality, both are the same position. In any case, uh, I was a curate with a man by the name of Roy Henderson and spent three years there. And so he monitored my preaching as I was given opportunity had to prepare certain sermons in print or in writing for the bishop and the leadership of the diocese. And that's where I was primarily involved in youth. But I remember I did my first wedding there, did my first baptisms there, uh, led worship, Holy Communion, and morning prayer, and worked with the young people, primarily the teenagers and the youth group, we had in the uh, what they called the crypt, that would be the basement of the church, a whole youth center. So we had there a mechanical workshop, a coffee bar, a five-a-side soccer area, pool tables, table tennis, and a general sort of seating area. 
And uh, I know that three nights a week I would have been working as a youth leader with the young people of the whole community down there, not just those who went to the church. In fact, I would say that most of the kids who came to that didn't go to church on Sunday, which was a great mission field for me. I was very good at soccer. I played, I guess that's immodest to say that, but uh, I played for a local adult team separately from coaching a high school team, playing five-a-side soccer, I would say three nights a week, which kept me healthy and very much engaged with the kids. One of our most exciting weekends was a mission we had with uh, another organization in England, which, by the way, I, I ended up working for in the USA, that same international organization called Scripture Union. And uh, they had a department of that which was like Children's Special Service Missions, CSSM. And we had a major weekend of evangelism when they brought in an evangelist. But a number of our teenage kids got thoroughly converted that weekend and became key players with me in ministry, reaching out to other young people. That was a, an amazing weekend. And since my heart was always in evangelism, having been one who got converted somewhat dramatically, having a real conversion commitment, that's what I sought for the other young people like I was at the time I got converted, and anybody else who would listen as well. So that weekend led to several of the young people getting converted and some other then brilliant initiatives in ministry. Along the way, um, I picked up a guitar and learned to play, and I didn't know how seminal that would become to uh, the rest of my life and ministry. But I had an old guitar that I inherited from a younger brother, and it was very cheap and very uh, difficult to play because the strings were so lifted up off the neck of the guitar. But that's what I learned on. And I had learned that if you, there were three chords, that if you could play these three chords, you could actually play some songs and lead singing with uh, young people. Well, culturally, across England, those were the halcyon days, the early beginnings of what became the English invasion. So here I am, ordained at 61, picked up the guitar that first year, started playing it, and began to write songs. I didn't know music, but I made up songs with the guitar in those three chords. I learned those three chords. What happened was I heard that there was a young lady, the wife of one of the students back at uh, the college, my theological college, and uh, she could play these three chords and lead singing. So I called her up on the phone and asked, could I come by for tea one day? Sounds very English. And would she teach me those three chords? And that's exactly what happened. I can't even remember her name or her husband's name. But I do remember the three chords. They were E, A, and B7. And those three chords, you could play some, anything that was basic, like what a friend we have in Jesus, 
fits in with three chords, but I, I then started composing songs that had a rock and roll sound, and I was looking for Christian songs out of American songbooks that had more folk music-y songs, like What a Friend We Have in Jesus, uh, more culturally relational than the classical hymns like Holy, 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 or Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. And I remember the, the first song I ever wrote was a driving rock and roll song about the second coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming to earth again. What if it were today? Jesus is in coming in power and love to reign. What if it were today? That was my first song. And there were two young ladies and a, a guy. His name was Graham Hoyle. The girls were Elizabeth and Maureen. They all three had great voices, and we started singing together as a foursome, I singing with them, and learning these songs. And uh, some of the uh, other songs that were already becoming popular in a more uh, contemporary vein in England. Because what I was doing was also happening even in Liverpool where a group uh, soon became recording artists called the Crossbeats. Uh, you can actually go online and find their music to this day. But I learned a number of their songs, and working together with uh, these young people, we became an item in Bristol. So other youth groups began to ask us to come and play and sing. Years later, I sent a couple of young adults from from Pittsburgh over to the same theological college, and one of them married a girl who remembered those days when, she, as she said it, there was John Guest with all these young girls trailing after him. <laughs> oh, Lord, thank you. Anyway, we were quite an item with this music and continued to develop it across those three years. Uh, we didn't have drums or anything else, just my guitar and the four voices. Uh, but we picked up on a Peter, Paul, and Mary song and uh, some of the uh, Dylan songs, which are basically three-chord songs. And so we began a, a piece of ministry, which later became uh, very influential here in the USA. Another drama had to do with uh, this group of very rough guys, leather jackets, motorcycle-riding guys in my community in Barton Hill who became part of my youth group. Um, and across those years, I got myself a motorcycle as well. About my third year into my curacy, we decided, me initiating it and getting these tough guys with me to kidnap the beauty queen of Bristol University and hold her for ransom. Now, that sounds pretty rugged on the surface, like illegal and dangerous and could get you in jail. But that was not the case. So to backtrack, within the British universities, that would be Oxford, Cambridge, Bristol was one of the old universities, they have a week that's called Rag Week. And the students pretty much take that week off and maybe the week before it as well to prepare and pull off stunts throughout the city to raise money 
for charities. And they had, they didn't call her the beauty queen, but that's what she had. She was called the rag queen. It had nothing to do with rags and riches, that kind of rag, but stunts that the students would be pulling. And they were very high profile and they were allowed to pull off really uh, very stunt-like things in the city. For instance, at one occasion at Oxford University, I remember, they uh, dressed up as workmen, set up a little tent in the middle of a crossroads in Oxford, right in the heart of the university, and then began to, uh, to do some work around the edges of that intersection as if they were real workers working for the uh, borough of Oxford. But what they had done is get a toilet uh, and uh, cement it to the ground in the middle of the, the crossroads inside the tent. So they set it in concrete and then waited for the concrete to harden and then took away the tent and there was a toilet sitting right in the heart of the, the crossroads in Oxford and, and that sort of thing, uh, whatever else they did. But it was all part of a fundraising deal. They would be out on the streets with uh, cans to collect cash off of the passers-by. So the rag queen, the beauty queen of Bristol, we determined to to hold for ransom. Now, other universities did this. They, what they would do to get some of the money that was being raised, say, in Bristol, would be that they, students from another university would come and kidnap the beauty queen. And so she was under guard all the time because their ransom would be you'd have to take some of the money you raised and put it in their kitty for their charity. Well, I needed money for my youth group to pull off some of the stuff that we were doing. We were not a rich community. There wasn't a whole lot of money available out of the church. It was mostly just whatever I could raise. And so, uh, amazingly, I put together the idea of a special day to raise money for, like, the RSPCA, the Royal Society of Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. I had posters made up. I had a special letterhead printed with that on, and myself as the chairman, the Reverend John Guest, and uh, so it was a respectable charity in name. And I sent a letter with a phony address so that I couldn't be traced to the student union of Bristol University, asking if we could have the Rag Queen come and open this gala event to raise money for animals. They said yes. And, and it was clear, you know, they would have checked out my credentials that I was in this particular parish, St. Luke's with Christ Church, Barton Hill, and in the Diocese of Bristol, which was where the university was. And in fact, the college from which I graduated was a part of that university. Well, the idea was, that knowing that they had a bodyguard, we suspected that uh, he would travel with us. In other words, I would go and pick up the beauty queen on that particular day, which is what we planned on. And these guys would stop my car along the way with their motorcycles and take the beauty queen. And they were big enough and tough enough to hold down the, the guard, you know, the bodyguard of the, the security they'd given to the beauty queen. Well, they didn't do that. They actually said, you lead us. They had their own car, little sports car, and uh, the bodyguard drove the car with the beauty queen. So we drove down to where we had set the site for this gala performance, uh, like a fundraiser, 
it wasn't at my church I because I didn't want to incriminate my church at that point. And I'd actually put up a billboard outside advertising the event and the beauty queen was going to be there. There was nothing going on at all, really. And I'd agreed with the pastor of that church to let me do it in another part of Bristol. So I ended up driving my vehicle with their vehicle following. And along the way, these guys with their motorcycles fell in behind us because it wasn't working out just as we thought. So when we got to the church where the site was, and there was the nice billboard outside, uh, you know, about six feet tall and four feet wide, and uh, with the beauty queen advertised, we walked in through the gates and along the side of the building as if to go in. Well, my guys had cottoned on to what was going on. We didn't have cell phones in those days to communicate. And uh, they moved in on the bodyguard and surrounded him outside this church. And it was my job, and I was there with my clerical collar on, looking as innocent as could be, was to inform the bodyguard and the beauty queen that she had just been kidnapped. <laughs> then we took them back. We took the beauty queen. The guy went back to the universe and said, we're holding her for ransom for our youth group. So we would like you to contribute from your rag fund to our youth ministry. Well, he took off for the university and uh, to the student union to let them know what had happened, which would have been very embarrassing for him. And we took the beauty queen back to St. Luke's with Christ Church Barton Hill, where we had arranged the newspaper reporter to be there with a photographer, take the picture of me with the beauty queen, put it in the newspaper that day, and uh, write up that we at St. Luke's with Christ Church had managed to kidnap the beauty queen and hold her for ransom. And having gotten that picture and all that information and off to the press, we took her to the suburbs of Bristol, where we had a home already prepared to hold her until such times as the university uh, students came through with the ransom. Well, unbelievably, she escaped. She went to the bathroom and nobody had the savvy to go back into the bathroom with her. She climbed out through the bathroom window and hitchhiked back into Bristol. But in the meantime, this is very dramatic. This got the big time in the newspapers. They sent the bodyguard with a group of husky students down to my parish, St. Luke's with Christchurch, and kidnapped my vicar. They knocked on the door. The last he was seen that morning was a Saturday morning, was going out, being carried out belly down head first by these students, put in the back of a van and driven back up to the student union. And so the message was left with his wife that uh, we would not get the vicar back until they got their beauty queen back. Well, that made headlines in the newspaper about a vicar now being kidnapped by the students and the circumstances of that kidnapping. Meanwhile, I, I, I went back to the vicarage and. Uh, because I got that message via phone um, in the house where we were out in the suburbs. So I then shot in back into town from the suburb and went to see the vicar's wife, Elizabeth. And I, so I knocked on the door and she came to the door and I said, do you mind if we don't get the vicar back? Uh, you know, that we hang on to the beauty queen. I said, I can do the services tomorrow and preach if you don't mind not having your husband home. So she said, oh, that would be perfectly fine. 
and uh, laughed about it, and that was that. In the meantime, the beauty queen had escaped, gotten herself back into town, so that when she got back, we got our vicar back. But, uh, of course, now the reporters are calling up the bishop. The bishop is called a lord. So he was the Lord Bishop of Bristol and had a seat in the House of Lords, which is the uh, senior governmental uh, institution of uh, British Parliament. You've got the House of Commons and the House of Lords. So he was the Lord Bishop of Bristol. And uh, Oliver Tomkin, he was the bishop who'd ordained me, actually. And he uh, was asked, what do you think of this with your curate kidnapping the beauty queen and now your vicar's being held, one of your vicars being held? He said, well, I think that's perfectly splendid because it's all part of the, the game of uh, getting money out of Rag Week for our youth ministry. So that was one of my memorable escapades to raise money for our youth ministry. We never got any money. We got a whole lot of publicity which was uh, valuable. We became kind of legendary amongst, you, you know, church youth groups in the city. We pulled off a major coup in doing that. Sad to say we got no money, but what a story and what a memory. If you are enjoying this podcast, let us know on our Facebook page. You can find more episodes of John Guest Remembers and Christ Church's other podcast, Our Church, Our Stories, on our webpage, ccgf.org or wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you for listening.